I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick off the episode with the week in review. What movies and TV shows we have been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, a main reviewer topic of discussion, and finish up with film phase, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, the main event will be a review of Sony's Morbius. Long delayed, long awaited Morbius, and film phase will be counting down our favorite vampire movies. More on that later. But first, the week in review, Shanna, during the course of the last episode's recording, you had a bit of a COVID scare and were in quarantine, and so you have a quite a lengthy week in review. Lots to share. Why don't you share with us what you got to watch while quarantining? I have to say, to be quarantined is not the best situation, but at least I had Hulu and... Netflix and HBO and who else did I have? Apple and I also had Peacock. So uh-huh. all was not lost and terrible, uh, although it was still scary. So the first thing that I got to finish was Dope Sick. The series takes viewers to the epicenter of America's struggle with opioid addiction from the boardrooms of Purdue Pharma to a distressed Virginia mining community. This stars Michael Keaton Peter Skarsgård, Michael Stolberg, Will Poulter, and of course we've got my favorite, Caitlin Dever from Booksmart. Mm. And then we've also got Rosario Rosario Dawson, who I'm a fan of. And I really enjoyed this show. It's a really great show if you have some inkling of what the the opioid crisis was, what it caused, how addictive it was. I had an issue where I had some dental surgery and they prescribed Oxy and my body immediately rejected it. Thank God. Oxycontin to be clear. And I'm so grateful that my body did that because you, you look at how all the different people that are affected by this are being represented in this show and you just feel so much for them. And I, I just thought it was already well put together. It's a big thing to tackle and it's got lots of moving parts. So they focus on what the lawyers are trying to do to, you know, g- get a change happening. You have the FDA represented a little bit. You have the, the pharma and you have the many people who are affected by this, not just the people who, you know, were exposed to it and got addicted to it, but also how doctors were or were not dealing with it as well as the parents of the addicts and so it's just a fascinating look at it I think they did a really great job of it it's eight episodes so it's not a big thing and you can get through it fairly easily and it's really worth seeing through to the end so you highly recommend Dope Sick on Hulu Hulu. what do you rate it out of 10 oh I'd probably rate it like an 8 very good And you got several other things to to share with us, yeah? I do. There was a lot of time to watch stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm even tackling a five-season show right now, Station 19, but I'll talk about that when I'm done. 
The next one is also on Hulu, a just under two hour film, Deep Water, starring Anna de Armas, Ben Affleck, Tracy Letts. Other fun faces that we see include Lil Ral Howry and someone who looks familiar, Brendan Miller. Oh, and then of course, uh, Finn, w- Finn Wittrock. Uh, he seems to be popping up in a lot of different places lately. What has he been in also? That we've seen him in recently. Well, he was also in The Big Short. He was in Ratchet, so that's what I know him from. Judy, Last Black Man in San Francisco, If Beale Street Could Talk. Hmm, okay. Once you see his face, you know who he is. But moving back to deep water, this is a well-to-do husband who allows his wife to have affairs in order to avoid a divorce, becomes a prime suspect in the disappearance of her lovers. Wow, big surprise. That's a very interesting description of this movie. Uh, This is a terrible movie. This is not worth watching. (laughs) It is only worth watching for Anna de Armas. Uh, Really? I just want to see her in more stuff, mm. and I think she's really great no matter what she does. Mm. So that's where I'm at with that. I, there's nothing else I can really say about this film. It was a little disjointed. It was a little confusing. You know, it's was labeled. It all, was it at all sexy? Uh, there's a little bit of sexiness, but not more than the average steamy movie, you Which know. actually isn't really much of a thing anymore, mm. you know. So that element of the movie was successful for you? What, the steaminess? Yeah. No. Oh. It was like, it was light steam. Okay. It was like, we're about to get the sauna hot and then, (laughs) you know, we don't get to have a nice sweat. No. Okay. Well, that movie was directed by Adrian Lin. Are you familiar with Adrian Lin? No. The guy has been around for a very long time. And I think it was his first movie in a long time. His last film was Unfaithful. 20 years ago. Yeah. Remember wow. that movie? Actually, I'm not sure if I've seen it. Oh, wow. Richard Gere, Diane Lane. Pretty good. Indecent Proposal before that. Jacob's Ladder. Fatal Attraction. Nine and a half weeks. This guy basically popularized the erotic thriller. Flashdance before that. And All I can say is maybe his... You know, he wasn't allowed to do things. I, I don't know, because it doesn't feel like him. Okay. So. All right. So not a good movie. How do you rate that out of 10? Oh, uh, probably a four. A, probably a four. Okay. Maybe All a right. three. Actually, we'll go with three. A three out of 10. Yeah, All right. Three. So do not see Deep Water on Hulu. All right. All right. My next one is Kimmy, available on HBO, uh, starring Zoe Kravitz. Who would not want to watch her? An agoraphobic Seattle tech worker uncovers evidence of a crime. So basically, the Kibby is the Echo device. That's the best way to describe it, or the okay. Google device, whatever you guys are into. And what her job is... Her being Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. So Zoe Kravitz's job in this film is to basically listen to any commands that you've given your Echo, well, your Kimmy, and it didn't work out. She then listens to it and she corrects things mm. to be- to better have the device answer you or do stuff for you in the future. Oh, fascinating. So it was kind of cool to see that end of things. And yeah. they had like a little fun moment where you, see a ver- you hear a variety of like, what's a explicit term Kimmy and or they call the the device the explicit term and so then she goes in and does the coding for here's what that actually is or 
someone whose accent is off like myself, <laughs> where the word is not coming out how the device has been taught to hear the word. Uh. So it's very interesting. And then, of course, because she's sifting through all this stuff, she comes across something that is a suspect abduction or murder. Mm. She's not really sure. And because she can't go out, she can't actually physically go to office spaces and say, this is what's happening. But then, you know, it's like, okay, well, is the company trying to cover it up or not? Mm. So you get a lot of it from the trailer, but it's really well put together. It's happening semi-pandemic. Oh, really? So some people are wearing masks, some people aren't. Okay. So it's a little bit confusing because... it was filmed during the pandemic. Yeah, and it's confusing because it makes me wonder, like, were, were they anticipating that when it released, there wouldn't be a mask mandate? Because that's mm. only just recently lifted in Washington. So, mm. But Seattle shots, really good. Uh, I can identify where most of the places are. Mm. And so that's always thrilling. And uh, there's a little bit of action that happens, a little bit of thrill. And I, I love the ending. I think it's a really great movie to watch. And there's a couple of fun things that are happening and a couple of, hey, you know what? We should really consider catering more to mm. people like this. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So that's Kimmy on HBO. couple quick questions. Sure. One, uh, best Steven Soderbergh film in a long time? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I like Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> so, so I would rate Kimmy probably an eight. Excellent. What else do you have you want to talk about? All right, so the next two films I'm going to talk about were actually a great double feature. What I ended up doing was watching The Fallout, mm. then I watched Kimmy, and then I watched Mass. So let's talk about The Fallout on HBO first. Okay. This is a film uh, that's following a high schooler, Veda, navigating the emotional fallout she experiences in the wake of a school tragedy, uh, relationships with her friends, family, her view of the world is forever altered and, you know, she's experiencing some PTSD. If you've seen the trailer, you know that there's a school shooting. Hmm. And I don't think that's not a spoiler. What's interesting about this film is I'm South African. I don't have as much of an understanding of school shootings as an American might. Like you might have a completely different idea or experience about it mm -hmm. because that's not a thing that happens in south it's, africa it's not uh-huh okay and so what this film does really well is it puts us in the student's shoes mm. and shows you just how absolutely horribly terrifying an experience like this is we're really focusing on her perspective of this and her experience and aftermath of it with her mm. and although we have other students in the periphery going and trying to change legislation going and trying to make a, a, a funding for people who have who need help with this we're focusing on her just trying to get back to neutral mm. and her being the the main character veda played by jenna ortega okay and every now and again, she's checking in with two other people that had a similar, you know, as close to a similar experience on this day as her, played by Maddie Ziegler and Niles Fitch. Okay. 
We've also got a guest appearance, you know, an appearance by Julie Bowen from Modern oh, Family. Lovely. Shailene Woodley's in there. Oh. Lumi Pollock, which is, she is a lovely child actress. I, I'm trying to see what else she's been in. I think she's probably, she's been in, what is this? She's in a Disney show. So I loved seeing it with such focus mm. on one particular experience and it was also like, you know, here's this teenager. She went into school one way. She was mm-hmm. happy. She was, you know, a normal kid. Mm-hmm. And then you see her go back to school and it is, she's not the same person anymore. She's far from it. Mm. And it's just really interesting to see. Uh, previously, I would think, okay, well, when a school shooting happens, we have the kids that survive and we have the kids that didn't. Mm. And when I watch this film, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many more layers to it. So I found it very enlightening. That mm. is the fallout on HBO. And what do you rate that? I would give that an eight. All right. Now, the next movie that you wanted to talk about, I have heard very vague things, intentionally vague things ab- about. And I've also heard it is... An emotionally devastating film. Would you like to share your experience with this one? Yeah, I'll read the IMDb description because I think that's probably the most neutral, safest way to go about it. Mass is available on Hulu and it is just under two hours. Aftermath of a violent tragedy that affects the two, that affects the lives of two couples in different ways. This is a very well-made film. You don't know what's happening until we actually get in into the film. Basically 30 to 40 minutes. You have an idea of what might be happening, mm. but nothing is certain until we hit that particular mark. And it's beautiful in that you basically have these four people, two couples, in one room talking this thing out. And It's almost like a play. You could totally turn this into a play yeah Mm. and it's so intimate and it's so uncomfortable but it's so there's like this yearning for things to be okay while you're with these four characters for two hours Mm. and then you know you see a couple of other characters trying to get ready for their arrival and that's interesting too and it's just it's very much if you ever wanted to feel like you were not like don't even breathe on eggshells. It's not even a like don't walk on eggshells kind of situation. And the cast is really fucking great. It's four people. Well, I know the three out of the four that I want to watch. I want to see them, you know, do something like this. Mm. I want to see them do a project like this. We've got Jason Isaacs, Martha Plimpton, and Dowd, who I know from Handmaid's Tale. So it's really interesting to see her go from this very violent woman to something like this and then we've got reed bernie i don't know anything that reed bernie has done do you no that name does not ring a bell okay so i highly recommend this one i give it a nine. Oh, the wow. dialogue is so great the screen the screen writing is awesome the performances are just they're so they're so good you mentioned the the writing and it is directed and written by Fran Krantz, who I'm not familiar with by name, but I'm trying to find what else. I don't know if this is the directorial debut or what. Fran Krantz is apparently an actor. 
and apparently he this is a writing and directing debut i basically heard and you're uh, you're you're kind of agreeing with this that mass is one of the best movies of last year it's just a greatly overlooked movie did so would it have qualified for oscar nomination yeah yeah oh well shit man this yeah. totally should have got acknowledged in some some way mm, mm. in some capacity i'm I'm actually now really mad because I thought it was something more new mm, and mm. yeah. now I'm just really annoyed. Yeah, I'm not sure because this was a movie that definitely went under the radar for me, but apparently it came out in October, possibly. It's a, it's a really good film. It's You have to be mentally prepared to go on a journey that you can't escape from mm. because they're all in this confined room. Mm. And it feels like you're there with them, like you're confined just as much as they are. And Yeah, limited release October 8th. All right, so that is Mass on Hulu. That's right. And that completes your week in review. I just have a couple of things I want to speak briefly to that I did manage to watch before our little COVID scare. I've caught up with the Billie Eilish documentaries. The world's a little blurry on Apple TV Plus and happier than ever on disney plus kind of curious what this whole big hullabaloo of billy eilish has been about she has had uh, so much happen she's got a song and a james bond movie she did work on a pixar movie she's got two documentaries out she's kind of everywhere and she just won an oscar for her um james bond movie actually a little bit more on that later but so i i watched this and I have to say, largely, I'm not a fan of Billie Eilish's music, but I think that kind of helped me in being able to watch her documentary, The World's a Little Blurry, because I do think that even though it's a little weird for someone whose career is just starting, who's only 20 years old, to have a documentary about them, uh, it's interesting seeing this Behind the scenes, you know, it looks like cell phone footage, essentially, for most of this documentary of her recording process and her touring and her as a person as well. I think it's interesting to learn about her relationship with her brother, who's kind of the chief songwriter. It sounds like it seems like based on this documentary, Billie Eilish loves to perform hates the craft of songwriting (laughs) she actually complains more often than not when she has to write music and work with her brother who she thinks is a better songwriter than her Uh, so i i found that interesting you know she just seems to really prefer to go out on stage and perform much to her physical detriment because there's a lot of times where you see her in physical pain because apparently like one thing she loves to do is jump up and down and she thinks that's what gives a good performance is jumping up and down a lot on stage and she's really mad when she can't do that because mm. she's fucked her body up so Be- that's kind of interesting because of the jumping up and yeah, down yeah okay. yeah 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 i it, feel for this girl it's fascinating it's fascinating I think it's an interesting portrait. It's one of the more interesting portraits of a musician I've seen, especially more contemporary times. 
This thing is ballsy. It's two and a half hours long and actually has an intermission in it, which is like ballsy as fuck to be like, <laughs> we're going to have an intermission, motherfucker. But it is worthwhile. I do recommend it. Whether or not you're a fan of Billie Eilish, I do recognize occasionally, oh, okay, I know that song. Okay, I know that song. That's not bad. But mostly I'm not a huge fan of her music and I... It's interesting seeing people connect so deeply with her music and music that I just cannot connect with or get myself. Mm -hmm. That said, the other one was Happier Than Ever. That is more of a concert documentary or or a kind of a concert film on Disney Plus. But it has this concept, supposedly, of like being a love letter to Los Angeles. And there's like some brief animated sequences of an animated Billie Eilish driving around L.A. I think that aspect of it is a total failure and doesn't make any sense really or doesn't really work. But the concert performances are interesting because I think she's performing at the Hollywood Bowl and with a with a orchestra. And uh, is that the fancy place like where Tom and Jerry is? And I don't remember what you're talking about. Oh. But it is is typically, you know, fancy, outdoor okay. sort yeah. of thing. And I, I think that those arrangements with an orchestra are fantastic, sometimes with a choir as well. Those are really great arrangements. And um, I, I, I did find that interesting and appreciative. But I do think that The World's a Little Blurry is better. Unless you're a big Billie Eilish fan, you probably probably love the shit out of <laughs> Happier Than Ever if you are. So I, I just wanted to speak to those two things. It's been a couple of weeks since I watched them. I did see, I did check them out. I'm kind of checking through a list of rock docs I'm trying to get through, and Billie Eilish's was one of them. Olivia Rodrigo apparently had one that just dropped on Disney Plus as well. I've been curious what's this Olivia Rodrigo stuff. I might check that out as well, but that's my weekend review. Now we have two things to talk about a little bit on our weekend review. The first, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge the Oscars. So a lot of surprises at the Oscars this year. I expected it to be really kind of shitty (laughs) and one of the worst Oscars that I've ever seen because I wasn't a big fan of the list of nominees compared to other movies that came out last year. Uh, So I didn't expect much, but The Power of the Dog was the odds-on winner for the Oscars based on its performance during the awards season, having led the awards season by at least 100 awards. It was nominated for 12 awards, and it won, like, what, one or something? Mm. Which um, was a huge upset. Dune actually ended up being the biggest winner of the night with six awards, and Coda being the, the other big winner with, I think... T- three awards is that right it is three it was for best adapted screenplay best actor and best picture yeah best supporting actor yes yes that huge upset coda coming out from behind there i would say coda was probably on the bottom three in terms of expected winners and it came out thank goodness it wasn't don't look up uh (laughs) did you have any thoughts about coda's win 
I was very surprised, but also very pleased. Coda is a great film, but I didn't expect it to be Oscar material. So maybe I missed something or maybe it's simply just this wonderful, huge celebration that we're finally including um, the deaf community. Like, is that how much power the film has, you know? Mm. So I, I think about it a lot. I really thought that Power of the Dog was going to win. Not that I'm a huge supporter of that film, but I thought that was going to take everything. And I'm really pleased that Coda got it. I would say Coda is a really good movie. I agree with you. I did not expect it to even be nominated for Oscars. It did not seem like a movie on that level. And I think you're right that in terms of its depiction of deaf people, it has so much integrity and accuracy with it that that definitely leads a lot of credence and credibility to the film other winners that should be you know there's a lot of focus on other things with the oscars and the we, the focus should be on these things especially like jack jessica chastain uh winning for the yeah. eyes of tammy faye yeah be a little bit of a surprise there Well, I thought it was interesting because we've got Coda with this representation and um, this kind execution of inclusion. And then with Eyes of Tammy Faye, it's kind of the same thing. It's like on the surface, we think, you you know, of her her character as this, well, crazy person. But in actuality, she was this really kind person, really trying to help people connect and have empathy for each other. So I thought that was a really cool trend that was happening yeah empathy yes and that was actually one of jessica chastain's stated goals with that performance was to lend a lot of empathy to someone who's been largely ridiculed and you know we reviewed that movie uh, about six episodes back you can uh, hear our thoughts on the eyes of tammy faye i think we were largely positive on that film and on her in particular however her win only served to temper my anger at the loss of Kristen Stewart for Spencer, who yeah. I feel should have been an absolute lock for that award. Well, and we all know how I feel about Jodie Comer not being nominated at all. Right, for the yeah. Last duel, Boy, so. that would have been a tough tough category Can you imagine Jody, all three of those women in that category instead of like nicole kidman for the being yeah, for the love of fucking god <laughs> um and then the, the, you already mentioned troy could serve for coda winning supporting actor i want to focus on ariana debose for west side story winning supporting actress you know this is a name that was not widely known before that movie and after this win and her speech, I think she is going to be getting offers left and right and be a, a star. She is uh, notable as a winner because she is one of the only Latina uh, uh, actresses to to win. And also she is queer. She's gay. So that's a, a fantastic moment mm-hmm. in the, the ceremony. Well, and her speech speaking to those who may be the same as her Mm. and reaching out to them through that platform was really wonderful i love when when you win an award you're you're definitely in the spotlight the biggest spotlight you're ever gonna you know you can experience and you should really reach out to people and have it you know let them know it's going to work out just keep going yeah absolutely yeah yes and so i thought that was a really great moment 
in the ceremony and full of really great, uh, wonderful moments along those lines. Unfortunately, the media and social media uh, discourse has been has overshadowed all of that in light of Chris Rock insulting Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith slapping him. And uh, as a result, uh, we we have our our feelings about that. We could talk for at least 10 minutes about just that alone. But we're not going to because there are so many others that are talking about it already. Yeah. I would rather focus on, I loved the performance of We Don't Talk About Bruno. I know there's a few people that are like, but it wasn't even the real song. Guys, we've heard the real song how well, many times they were allowed to play with it a little bit. I was actually a little surprised they did two performances from Encanto and left sure. out one of the nominees um, yeah. for best original song. They left out Belfast down to Joy. We heard, oh my God, the the, the show opened with an outstanding performance by Beyonce for Be Alive. If there is anyone that can make anything look good, it's Beyonce. Ooh. No one can make tennis ball color look good but beyonce can (laughs) yeah well and also it's kind of a roll of the dice to start the ceremony with a best original song performance i thought that was a weird choice and then beyonce's performance kept going and i my jaw slowly hit the floor i was like it all the instruments are lime green they had to actually pay to get all those instruments lime green that is crazy and it was just a great performance so a lot of positive things out of a ceremony that we thought was mostly going to be shit i think well and i have to say like there's a lot of little star moments where i was so pleased to see Kristen dunst and uh, jesse plemons so cute together both nominated really sweet people some of the dresses were really fun to look at. And I loved the hosts. I thought they did a great job. Amy Schumer, Regina Hall, and uh, Wanda Sykes. What a cool combo. And yeah. it worked out pretty well, I thought. Yeah, uh, some jokes landed definitely better than others, but I didn't hate it either. There's been worst hosting jobs. Uh, it's just there's a lot of negative discourse around it and and we wanted to bring shed some positive light and really shed some light on the winners so those are our thoughts on the 2022 oscars lastly before we move on to the main event there is a new mcu show that dropped right before recording this episode it was Moon Knight, starring Oscar Isaac, and anybody else notable that, that stars at this point? Ethan Hawke? Ethan Hawke, of course. Duh. Ethan Hawke and Moon Knight. Now, Moon Knight, I'm a, I'm a comic book reader, or at least, you know, I spent my teens reading comics, and I spent my 20s reading comics. I came back to it in 2004, <clears throat> read for uh, six years or so. And Moon Knight, even to me, an avid superhero and pretty thorough uh, reader of comics in general, Moon Knight was still sort of ex- uh, uh, obscure. I knew about him, but he wasn't a character that I knew very well. And even then, what little I did know about the character was a little confusing. So now Marvel is bringing a fairly obscure character with a fervent fan base to the screen and Shanna, what did you think so far of this translation based on the first episode 
Well, it's a really unique experience in the plentitude of what we have that Marvel has given us. Marvel has given us stuff that we know, stuff that we slightly know, and has hit it out of the park most of the time. And here we have a new thing to experience that's so new, I know nothing. Mm. I know what it's like at the London History Museum, because I went once when I was younger. And that's, you know, that's about all I have to relate to it. And so far, it's the first episode. I'm interested. I think the visual effects are great. I think the acting is great. I like the little things that they're doing around the characters, but it's so little and I know nothing. But that's all I can say. I'm looking forward to watching the rest. Yeah, so the jury's still out for me on this because this is definitely a table-setting episode and it has... It still has a lot of uh, coherence to try to make out of what is going on and what what this character is about, what's what this character's deal is. Uh, Oscar Isaac plays the titular character, but it seems to have there seems to be maybe some multiple personality things going on. There seems to be maybe possession. I have no idea. I'm very much interested in hearing or seeing the next couple episodes of the rest of the series, by the time you hear this episode, at least one more episode of the series will have dropped. So hopefully uh, we'll get some more clarity in that episode. Uh, But I will say this project, I would love to have been in on the meetings, the negotiation meetings with Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac. These are two people who must have been tough sells because a Oscar Isaac has experience with superhero movies and it was not a good experience. He played apocalypse in X-Men apocalypse. He has publicly stated that was not a good experience. Ethan Hawke has publicly stated he's not at all interested in doing superhero movies or anything Mm -hmm. like that. This is not the kind of work that he typically does. He does character driven stuff. Uh, So I would be very interested in how those two got won over into this. I, I, too, would be interested in knowing knowing about that. Uh, I hope that they're going to have a good experience. So far, it, it looks like they're doing fine. Mm. It's one episode, though. Yeah, we'll check in on that in a couple episodes of the podcast to kind of share our overall thoughts of that. But that has dropped on Disney+. And that is the we- our Week in Review and finishes the Week in Review segment. Now it's time... For the main event, which is our review of Sony's Morbius. Do you need a doctor? I am a doctor. I should have died years ago. People all over the world have my disease. I'm here. To find a cure. We have to push the boundaries, take the risks. If you're gonna run, do it now. People are strange. Dr. Michael Morbius, you've been missing for two months. When you're a stranger. Then you were found on a container ship that washed up off a long island. Faces look ugly. When you're alone. Johnny! What did you do to yourself, Doctor? 
I wish I knew. I went from dying to being more alive than ever. It worked. Not exactly. I have increased strength and speed and some form of bat radar. What else can I do? There are limits. There has to be. There's something inside of me. Who wants to hunt? And consume blood. Michael. When you're and you control it. I don't know. Half the city wants to kill you. We haven't had anything this good since that thing in San Francisco. The other half wants to control you. Hey, uh, Dr. Mike, you and I should stay in touch. I'd do anything to save a life. But I don't know what I'm capable of. You save lives, you don't take them. Are you here to heal the world? Or to destroy it? Who the hell are you, man? I am Venom. I'm just kidding, it's Dr. Michael Morbius at your service. And that was from the trailer to Sony's Morbius. So this is a movie that was supposed to release in 2020, I believe July of 2020. So a couple months after the pandemic started and it has been booted numerous times by Sony. It is about a biochemist who tries to cure himself of a rare blood disease, but inadvertently infects himself with a form of vampirism instead via vampire bats. This film stars Jared Leto, Matt Smith, Jared Harris, Adria Arjona, and Tyrese Gibson. It is directed and written, uh, well, it is directed by Daniel Espinoza and written by... Matt Sasazma and Burke Sharpless. More on them in a bit. When we talk about a movie, we like to focus on the good. What is good about a movie? What was great? What were its strengths? Before moving on to the bad, what sucked about a movie? What were its flaws? And then weighing whether or not the good outweighs the bad and talking about spoilers and final thoughts. So, Shanna... (laughs) You know the character Morbius best from a outdated dead card game from the 90s called Overpower. Is that correct? That is the only way I know about this character okay. and occasionally forget that we have that card. That's hilarious because so. it is one of the more common and easier <laughs> to get characters and cards in that dead card game. One of my favorite card games, by the way. He's basically a vampire. He was introduced... In Amazing Spider-Man, he's a Spider-Man character, kind of an anti-hero, as I understand it. I've never, in all my reading of comics, never come across a comic about Morbius. Myself, never read a comic that featured Morbius. He was always a character I knew about 
particularly because of trading cards and such. So I can't really speak to him and his translation too much in this film, but Shanna, did you have any degree of anticipation after the past couple years for this film? What was your interest level and what was good about Morbius after finally getting to see it? Here's what we have to acknowledge about this film is it got bumped a lot. We saw trailers like crazy before the pandemic. And then throughout the pandemic, we got to see more trailers of this this movie. And now we're finally, you know, at mask mandate lifted in Washington state level. And now we get to see it. So we're two we're basically two years later, give or take a week or two. So I just want to say it has that against it. They gave us a lot of, they gave us a trailer that somewhat is not, is not consistent with the movie in mm. that we see some stuff, but we don't see some stuff of what happened in the trailer. Okay. And that drives me fucking crazy. Okay. Okay. It's a big turnoff for me. I'm not going to go too off about that right now. Because of this exhaustion of seeing the trailer all the time, uh-huh. I, I didn't have any expectations. I thought at first that it might be a funny, uh, funny like a Venom kind of movie. Not that I've watched Venom. But then I also would get confused because I thought, well, is this a Marvel thing? But then you go watch the film and you realize, oh, it's a Sony thing. So you mean when you say Marvel thing, you mean Marvel like Marvel Disney cinematic universe? Yeah, yeah. It's far from that. Did you have expectations? We weren't uh, going to review this film, were we? Well, it was a backup plan. Always a backup mm-hmm. plan. Uh, we, the first one that we were interested in seeing was everything always, everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. That is not available to us currently, so we couldn't review it. Uh, so this was a backup plan because it was it was you know a tentpole film, franchise film. So I was interested in it in so much as it being a Marvel character and a superhero movie. Uh, as far as the character, I'm not a f- uh, I can't say I'm a fan of the character because of my lack of uh, aware uh, lack of knowledge about the character. I was just interested in seeing okay, what are they going to do with this character? So I wasn't like on I could it wasn't a movie that I just absolutely couldn't wait when we we did our most anticipated movies of the year and and with that some of the season I don't think Morbius was at all really you know, a factor in that regard but it wasn't a movie I didn't care about it wasn't anything that I was like oh I won't see that I just hope for the best I will say that as far as the good this movie is totally watchable. Is it? I, I would say it's totally watchable. Mm. I would say that, honestly, one of the highlights of the movie is actually an actress that I'm not familiar with named Adria Arjona, who plays Martine Bancroft, character that I don't know if she's in the comics at all, but I liked her in this film. She's apparently starred in... A show called Good Omens. She was in Life of the Party, Pacific Rim 2. A show called Emerald City. You know, and and uh, also a season of True Detective. 
Not someone yeah. who I've really noticed before. Pacific Rim True is not a great movie. <laughs> so I wouldn't have necessarily noticed her in that. And I haven't seen most of her other work. So I liked her in this. I I, I think the movie's fine. I think that it, it largely it is, it is fine. It is... <sighs> There's so much more I want to say. I I think we need to move on. What was what was bad about Morbius for you, Shanna? Was there anything that was bad about Morbius? Oh, honey, I think a lot of it was bad. I I'm having a hard time finding the good. I'm happy to see Jared Leto. Uh-huh. I I wish him better hero roles or villain roles. Uh-huh. I think he got. I, I really hope for the best for Jared Leto because I know he's a great actor, but I feel like he keeps getting these b- bad opportunities with the Joker in Suicide Squad and now Morbius. Hmm. I see the potential in Jared Leto. I don't see the potential in, in this film. Hmm. So this film is directed by Daniel Espinosa. Now, Daniel Espinosa has directed such films as Safe House and a film a couple years back called Life, which was largely claimed to be a derivative of Alien. I did not see that movie that starred Ryan Reynolds and a bunch of other people, uh, but I did see Safe House, and I thought Safe House was perfectly okay. You're a bigger fan of Safe House than myself. I am. Uh, It's not the best film, but it's not bad either. It was kind of in your top 20 favorite action movies when we talked about that in the last episode. It was kind of one of the movies that you considered. It was, it was worth a mention, but it didn't make the list, yeah. Right. Yeah. It, this film is also co-written by Matt Sazama. This guy has apparently written the latest Lost in Space Netflix reboot series, which I haven't seen. He did some work on the Power Rangers movie, and he wrote the script to Dracula Untold, The Last Witch Hunter and Gods of Egypt. Admittedly, that is... What the heck is that? A major red flag. Uh, those are just famously bad movies. Buck Sharpless is the other screenwriter. He apparently works with Matt all the time as they share the same writing credits And I wish I knew that going in because that would have given me an indication of what to expect here. I do not understand why these people were hired because Mm. you get what you get. It's it's there is definitely not a pattern of good. Never mind consistently good or improvement. Yeah. And I think the script is is one problem with the film. I think the direction is another. I don't think the actors involved are the issue with the film. I think the script cuts so many corners. I think there's so much we don't understand about what is happening to Jared Leto's character and what he's able to do. And I realized something. I was thinking about this, and I realized... This isn't we, good when Jeff says this. We don't have a character to walk us through it, you know? Yeah. Like, usually in a lot of movies, 
there's that character who's able to explain, oh, this is what you're, this is what you're experiencing, or this is what you can do, or this is the world that we're in, you know, the Morpheus of everything, or whatever, you know, there's the Ancient One in Doctor Strange, or there's some character that gives us, that instructs us, and helps us understand, and with Morbius, there is, and maybe there couldn't be, but there is no character that does that, and so there's things that happen that to the character or the character is able to do that I'm left one kind of confused by or lacking clarity on. And so that is very consistent with the rest of the movie because the movie does take shortcuts with general writing things. This movie starts with the scene that you see in the trailer all the time. I was actually pleased about that because I was like, yes, can we please get that out of the way? Okay. It starts with the scene of of Jerry Lowe going to the cave and attracting the bats and everything. And then it like cuts back to his childhood and then it never comes back to that scene ever. And it leaps right over that scene from childhood to after that scene. <laughs> it's just so such a weird yeah. script in that regard. It doesn't even fully make sense of that scene that it starts with of, what is he doing? Why is he there? How come the helicopter doesn't, the pilot doesn't even know what he does for a living or why they're there? Like, there's so much that doesn't make sense already in this film. And then you start getting, you go back in time to build character and to help us care about this character's journey. Okay? And that's fine, and that works fair enough, and it establishes a relationship between two characters. That's fine. That works well enough. And it jumps ahead and, and with Morbius being an adult and winning awards and his field and all this sort of stuff, and that's fine. That works. And you got this relationship with Martine. That's fine. That works. That's fine. All this is serviceable. But... Everything that happens from Jared Leto's transformation onward is like has a base level coherence to it. We understand that he becomes a superhero. Well, he becomes a super being, I shouldn't say. He's not really doing any heroics in the film. We understand he is suffering from a, some sort of a transformation that makes him monstrous. But we don't understand that transformation and what he's able to do. We can talk a little bit more in spoilers, I suppose. But the general point is the writing is terrible on the whole. And the the direction doesn't necessarily help. This movie is not worth going to see. So let's move on to spoilers. Oh, man. You want to cut right to it. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I forget. We, I guess we forgot to rate it. I give it a three. <laughs> you want to jump right to that. Yeah. So, okay, you'd think the the good does not outweigh the bad at all. A three out of ten. Good? Yeah. The good is like the actors, and it's not their fault. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So it's it's they make the film watchable. Um, but there is no moment where I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is awesome, or the movie's really clicking There's and no coming together. There's no jaw-dropping moments. There's nothing mm-hmm. new. There's mm-hmm. nothing fantastical about it. Nothing. Oh, and I also will say sometimes the action choreography is incoherent. I cannot understand what is happening between two characters. I'll tell you what's happening. It's called Lazy, 
that's what's happening. We we should be way beyond the whole, oh, we're too close. People have complained about it enough over many years. We should not be doing it again. Well, there's a skill that comes with that sort of style, and this movie lacks that. I give the film maybe a 4 out of 10. I definitely agree the good does not outweigh the bad, and I definitely do not think that this movie should be seen in theaters you don't really need to you can skip it it's probably going to be in streaming in like two months time tops anyway so if you really want to see it check it out when it hits the screams the streams so shanna's chomping at the bit she wants to get into spoilers and final thoughts let's get into that for morbius uh if you haven't seen the movie you do want to be unsullied skip ahead to the to the film fave segment check the show notes for that timestamp. if you don't care or you have seen the movie you want to hear the rest of our thoughts come join us for spoilers and final thoughts on sony's morbius starting now shanna you have thoughts clearly you're like oh my god can we just get to the spoilers <laughs> go this is your opportunity I just feel like this film isn't worth watching. I don't like how it was written. I don't like the stereotypical, oh, we're, we're, I like the, we're friends when we're young and we're obviously lifetime friends because we get to today, but I'm also going to go against you. You're my friend, my lifetime friend, and you tell me not to do something. I'm not going to trust you, and I'm going to go against you, and now I'm the evil one. I cannot stand that trope. There was, it was so lazy. It was so boring. Here's the thing. This film is not made for children. There are vicious things that do occur in this film. Yeah. It's not like an intro villain film for children. Well, okay, to set up something later. It's it's, it's a, not even that. It has this weird, mature, but not quite mature kind of vibe to it where you do have moments where someone might have their eye impaled by a tile, mm. but also you will have like deliberate framing that prevents you from seeing the neck wounds. It can't make up its mind. This film cannot make up its mind. They're like, we're not sure, guys, like if the parents are going to bring their kids with. So let's just give the parents a little bit of the like slice, slice, and let's hide the rest just in case their kid is there so that they only have to cover their kid's eyes once or twice. It's so confusing. It's so lazy. It's so first grade. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying with regards to the first grade thing. But it, it's just beginner. It's beginner villain movie. And I I, I hate it. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't even... It has been a long time since I have felt this way. I don't even feel like it's worth engaging and talking about. And yet you can't wait to. <laughs> um, look, I... I actually think it's more watchable than than you do. I don't think mm-hmm. it's dog shit. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. It's it's totally watchable. There's just so much that's wrong with it that doesn't work. Like, okay, so let me get specific. I, I, I don't want us to take forever on this movie, but let's let's get specific. There is there is like this smoky, wispy aspect to his powers that yeah. occur. This is probably one of the biggest things that lacks coherence and explanation in the movie. What is that? 
Why does that happen? What is going on there? Can everybody see that? Or is it just his perspective? And well, there is a scene where he's on the top of the building and and like it's like wind is blowing him towards the edge of the building for some reason and he can't control it. What is going on there? Also, there's no What's ledge protection on that building and there's sun solar panels, so there should be ledge protection all on right. that building. Alright, let's focus all on the powers, would you? Okay. Alright, what is going on there? You know, we don't have someone to explain that for us, and he doesn't seem to understand, so he doesn't explain it to us either. You know, things like that don't make sense. Okay? You're right, I, 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 sure, the whole thing with the villain doesn't, isn't amazing it's fairly predictable i suppose and it kind of like cuts corners in terms of how that happens with matt smith's character somehow obtaining the the materials required to be able to get infected despite like very clearly his his friend of over 20 years has been transformed into something that is not good and he still thinks but I don't. I want to use my legs, <laughs> and I, I. I'm not. I, he. I guess there's a ticking clock that he's going to die. But that's not yeah. made clear. Life either. expectancy is majorly shortened. They actually established that in the beginning, where they're like, "Oh, you're just the next Milo." He changes the person's name. The person runs with that name for the future. So and we're to understand that the other bedmates have actually died. Yeah. Okay. So. I don't know. So they've outlived their life expectancy, but they're still living. And then there's a moment where Jared Harris, who plays the caretaker of, of Matt Smith's character, um, he's like, what's your pain level? Zero to ten. And Matt Smith's like, eleven. But he says it so casually, and that entire scene, he never seems to be in any sort of pain whatsoever, or at least anything beyond low-level pain. Yeah. So, like, eleven, to me, is like, you just had a chainsaw go through your limb kind of excruciating pain. This is the you know? pain level chart that the Oxycontin people make, where they're <laughs> like, we want you to buy our stuff. So he has a nice pain, simple pain graph. Oh, uh-huh. you're at 11. We're going to give you 120 milligrams, you know. So it's sloppy. There's no medicine bottles anywhere. There, there is. You're right. There's no wincing of pain. Yeah. They look like they have their condition managed. Mm. It's, it's, it looks like an inconvenience, not an unmanageable uh, dips yeah, right. and lows and highs. Uh, right, I need right. medicine. I need this. Fucking kill me. Yeah. Wait, let me live. There's nothing. So there's a scene where that's supposed to be kind of a Kaiser Soze like reveal where Matt Smith visits Michael in a prison and he's, he acts as though he's going to be his lawyer and on his behalf. And he walks out of the prison and each room he gets to on his way out of the prison. He's like le- he's not limping as much, and he's walking straighter and straighter and more normal and livelier, and and like the score and everything in that. And with Michael realizing he left his cane behind, it feels like it's supposed to be like this big reveal that oh my god, he's taking the stuff. He's the one that's going around killing people and stuff like that. Did that at all? What was your what was your experience watching that scene? You, you know what this was like for me. This was like. The sibling that didn't get punished for the thing 
that they did, but the other sibling got punished for it, and that sibling has just put the pieces together, mm-hmm. and now it's absolute fucking mayhem because someone's going to get punnelled. Huh. That's what it felt like. It felt rushed and stupid. Okay. And when they eventually got to each other, nothing constructive happened. It was what do just you mean? like he was calling him out on it, but yeah. it nothing, nothing good happened. He wasn't able to shut anything down. Well, it led to a fight and all that sort of stuff. What at the end? There's this whole like fight where Michael's trying to get to a point where he can inject Milo with this Antigen. this coagulate sort of thing that'll mess with the blood in doing so he conjures up a fuckload of bats in new york city using a kamekame bowl of energy and oh did that not seem nonsensical and ridiculous to you he has the fucking thing okay and the bats were able to throw Mm. milo against a wall Mm -hmm. and all this sort of stuff this is probably what pissed me off the most. Really? This is... Okay. Here's the thing. Know what exists before so that you know where you can go with the material you have now. What do you mean? Batman from DC uh-huh. has owned bats for decades. The bat has been linked to Batman. Okay. So when you come to me with and Morbius and... Sure. When you come to me with Morbius and, okay, he's attracting bats and he's experimenting on bats, I'm cool. I'm fine. Uh When you start summoning bats and having them help you fight, I'm like, I'm out. Because there's no establishment of any connection other than, oh, they're not going to eat me. No, there's an establishment of connection. There's that whole scene in the tube that uses, I swear to God, it uses Hans Zimmer's Dark Knight score. (laughs) <laughs> where he actually steps into the swarm of bats. And he says that he's at one with them or yeah, whatever. Yeah, so there's establishment. But, the, but being at one with an animal and controlling or calling on help from an animal are two completely different things. I mean... Completely different. In reality, yes. In a superhero no, even movie? even in a superhero movie. No, I think don't Think of agree. Rat Girl. She has a device to bring the rats to her. Sure. And control them and connect sure. with them. So does Batman. Think about... Um, so does Batman in the dark... In Batman Begins. But Morbius doesn't have a device. Right. He Yes. I know. I'm, I, I'm not saying it was good. I'm not... I, I'm just saying that there was an established connection with the bats. I was asking you if that was a ridiculous moment or not. If it that was stupid as fuck. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. There. I, I mean, like the science in this movie about vampire bats in the first place, I think is pretty nonsensical compared to what we know as factual about vampire bats versus the myths of vampire bats. You know, they do not devour people. They do not devour creatures. You know, how they feed is completely different than... Uh, there's so much silliness in, in this movie, I suppose. And it's sort of disappointing because, like you, I was hoping for the best for Jared Leto in this new role. Um, and you even have this investigation going on, which um, is sometimes... Then we have the investigators. Yeah. The one investigator seems like he has superpowers because, one, you know, it takes a while. Morbius is up on the roof, and all of a sudden, the one investigator is right there. That's even Tyrese. though he was, like, 
middle floor or at the bottom. I can't remember. That's uh, Tyrese Gibson as Detective Simon Stroud or Agent. Apparently, they're in the FBI. I thought they were just detectives. I didn't. I didn't uh, get that they're part of the FBI. I mean, I could go either way with it. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. All right, let's. Is there anything else you had to get off your chest? I, about this I really movie? don't. Other than just wanting this to be over, the, I know that's awful. But, dude. Oh, speaking of over, the, wanting it the to be over. Scenes. We, I insisted that we wait till the very end, very very end. At so yeah, po- after after after. Let's talk about those two. Okay. Credit scenes. So first of all, I recommend anybody who's interested, go check out Matt Zener's article on Screen Crush about So well written. About the post credit scenes. He he names it the worst post credit scenes in the history of post credit scenes. And he does a beautiful deconstruction of what we see in these scenes and why they make absolute zero sense. Essentially, this is this is the most crass flagrant ex, uh, example of sony wanting so badly to have their toys and wanting to have the thing <laughs> they wanted for the better part of a decade which is um, when they decided to kick sam raimi to the curb and um do amazing spider-man instead as a backup plan and they did amazing spider-man 2 they were trying to work towards a sinister six movie it was terrible execution. Amazing Spider-Man 2 was awful. And I don't even know how you could pull off an, a Sinister Six movie and make us really, like, care. But they want to. And they apparently, they they went and let Marvel borrow Spider-Man and rode that way for a little while. Now they think, okay, with Venom and the success of Venom, horrible movie, by the way. And apparently Let There Be Carnage is even worse. They um, They think, okay, we can do this. We can have our Sinister Six movie, but we're going to steal. No, we're going to defy logic. We're going to defy everything we understand in the MCU that happens in Spider-Man: No Way Home. We're going to steal one of the characters from those movies, Vulture, played by Michael Keaton, and we're going to build our own fucking Sinister Six because, goddamn it, we want to. (laughs) That's what happens. This essentially in this post-credit sequence it establishes that for whatever reason that character gets transported out of the mcu into the sony spider-man verse or venom verse whatever you want to call it inexplicably he's released from prison because they're like well we don't got nothing on this guy not even a social security number so he must be free to go so they let him go next thing we know jared leto's driving in the middle of nowhere Really fast, like Doctor Strange fast. Yes. Like, has to get there now. It's an emergency. Ends up in the middle of nowhere, which I don't know how that even, you know, that broken down sign of highway, whatever, whatever, like about 20 miles east. That's really well lit. Right? The really well lit area. Somehow meets up with Adrian Toomes, played by Michael Keaton. And Adrian Toomes, who logically wouldn't know anything about fuck all that happened in No Way Home, is like, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm sure it's Spider-Man's fault. Do you want to team up? Because everything is Spider-Man's fault if you're a Spider-Man villain. And Morbius is like, eh, that sounds intriguing. And that's the end of the scene. Never mind the fact that there is no Spider-Man that currently exists in that universe. And the only thing that we do know of that exists is Venom because Michael Morbius makes a blatant reference to Venom and so do the FBI agents. (sighs) I find this frustrating. 
You know, the whole I'm Venom thing also sounds like an I'm Batman thing. Now I'm even more pissed. Really? You think so? I, I really thought that was trying Maybe to I'm be just a super joke. sensitive about yeah, Batman. Yeah, I think uh, it was just supposed to be a joke. It's just a and joke. It, and it wasn't even played off how it was in the trailer. But anyway, yeah. th- I feel like Sony's like like rolling up their sleeves and below like, okay. Alright, so because of the MCU, you think all superheroes are gonna be good? Well, just watch. <laughs> and they got us Venom. Which is a stupid ass movie. I've been told numerous times by various people not to go see Let There Be Carnage. I've heard that is even worse, which defies logic because Andy Serkis directed that movie. That's that's that's, that's, that's unfortunate. Now we it got probably Morbius. got torn apart by the studio. Now we got Morbius, and it's like I have zero hope for any quality in Sony's superhero films. And, you know, we have the precedent of Amazing Spider-Man also, which, honestly, love Andrew Garfield. He was fantastic, but he was the only thing good about those movies, flat out. So, next is a Craven the Hunter movie with Aaron Taylor Johnson playing Craven. I can't say <sighs> I'm excited about turning another Spider-Man villain into an anti-hero. But there you go. Yeah, I think I'm checked out now. Yeah, All right. We're going to have to move on. Those are our thoughts yeah. on Morbius. Do you have any thoughts you'd like to share? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now it's time for film faves. Our favorite vampire movies. Now, film faves is a segment of the show inspired by a feature that used to exist on the blog wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. We try to do this partially to give you a taste, uh, an idea of our taste in movies. But the biggest thing really is to help expose you, like this podcast in general, expose you to things you might not have heard of or caught up with or seen. And to that end, we will point out if a movie is available on a streaming service for your convenience. We focus on Amazon Prime, Apple TV+, Disney+, Netflix, HBO Max, and Hulu. We will let you know if a movie is available on those. More often than not, a movie is only available to rent on Amazon or Apple TV+, Plus, if at all, but we won't note if that's the case. Uh, vampire movies. I thought this was going to be an easy topic. Surely, surely, of all the monsters ever put to film, vampires have been plentiful, so there must be an easy 12 favorite movies. Uh, that was not my experience. That was not my experience. I found, like, eight favorite vampire movies at most shanna what was your experience crafting a list of favorite vampire movies at first it was really easy what was nice about this list making opportunity was i knew exactly where i wanted each movie that i liked i knew where i wanted to to go until you said is this one better than this one is this one better than that one and i was like oh maybe i'm not so certain anymore (laughs) so I had veiled confidence. (laughs) (laughs) With vampire films, what I run into is I'm either really going to like it or I'm really not. And it's not Mm. this sort of maybe kind of middle ground. What's what's an example of a movie you didn't, you like, was on that side of the spectrum of oh the original really the original Dracula I was <gasps> like you know what no what? this is gonna it's gonna happen you know I'm not I'm probably not the only one that feels that way and I know it's like horrifying but no you know so this helps illustrate 
we had to do a combined list because you really only came up with like 10 movies at the at most eight that i was certain about with an additional two that i was uncertain something like that yeah and I scratched together surprisingly 12 movies, but I was really only passionate about seven or eight of them myself. So we did a combined list. This is our first combined film faves list in at least a year. It's been quite a while. Mm -hmm. And so you will be hearing our favorite vampire movies. But what that means is the first few We'll, we'll be taking turns going back and forth talking about these movies. But the first few might be specific picks from one of us. Okay? And so it won't necessarily reflect that it was a favorite of the others. But I, I take the averages of our lists and, and kind of combine. And then from there I go, whatever's left over, I slot in the top remaining picks from each of our lists. So with that... Unless there's anything else you want to share about vampire movies, let's start off with our 12th favorite vampire movie. I will get us started this time with a movie from 1992 called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was a movie that starred Christy Swanson, Paul Rubens, and Rudger Hauer, and Luke Perry. Uh, I love Luke Perry in this, actually. It was, he was in his 90210 days, and I did not I was not a fan of that show, but I liked him in this. And David Arquette is also in it, too. Like him in this movie. I like everyone in this movie, actually. I think it was a very funny film. I know it's not the dark, angsty thing that Joss Whedon wanted, but I've always preferred this over the TV show. Sorry, Buffy fans. Uh, but yeah, this is not a movie I've loved, but I've always liked, and I always liked Christy Swanson in this role. This is probably one of her best performances and best roles of her career. I think it's fun. I think it's enjoyable. I think Paul Rubens is really funny in it as sort of a right-hand vampire. Rudger Hauer is in it. The action, not so greatly choreographed. (laughs) If you look at it today, but it's a it's a fun, silly movie. Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 1992, number 12 on the list. Shanna, this was exclusive to you. This pick, what is our 11th favorite vampire movie? Number 11 is a beautiful black and white film from 2014 and is directed by Anna Lily Amapur. So we are F-rated here. It is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. In the Iranian ghost town, Bad City, it's a fun name, a place that reeks of death and loneliness, the townspeople are unaware they are being stalked by a lonesome vampire. This film is beautifully shot, is very focused, and I'm really needing to watch it again, but I wanted to make sure it got on the list. Tenth favorite. So here's the thing about this list. Dracula made way more appearances on this list than I really wanted to. And here's the first of those appearances. 1987's The Monster Squad. Dracula is leading a team of essentially the Universal Monsters to try to take over the world. And it's up to a group of preteens to stop him. 
I actually think this version of Dracula, who is played by someone I, I don't know off the top of my head. I have to look it up. But I think this version of Dracula is one of the best versions of Dracula ever on film. I know that is surprising to hear of all movies, the Monster Squad being the one, but I actually really like it. Duncan Regaher is the uh, is the actor uh, who plays Count Dracula in this. Uh, I, I've always loved this film. Tom Noonan plays Frankenstein's monster. It's a it's a really cool like uh, monsters via Goonies kind of uh, movie. It's a blast. It has one of my favorite Wolfmans ever on film. His transformation sequence is terrifying. And there's a scene where he, uh, you know, you, you can only kill a werewolf through a couple means. So blowing him up doesn't do shit. So it's really kind of cool how it illustrates that as well. The Monster Squad, number 10 on our list from 1987. Shannon, you have the first movie on our list that's actually available on a streaming service. <gasps> Yay, where is it? <laughs> it's on Netflix. I think it was a pandemic movie and got pushed to Netflix or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I recall that happening. It's a 2020 film, Vampires vs. the Bronx. A group of young friends from the Bronx fight to save their neighborhood from gentrification and vampires. How fucking cool is it to take the vampire genre and move it beyond fucking Dracula and turn it into something that's that's commenting on gentrification? Uh-huh. <laughs> I love this. Apparently, I'm really into films that are like talking about gentrification. We have this starring Gregory Diaz, the fourth, who is also in In the Heights. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, he's the kid that he's the younger one of them and is... Oh. Also talks about gentrification in there. Uh, huh. He's the one that's rapping in the pool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then we have Jaden Michael, Gerald Jones, Sarah Gaydon, and a couple of other little... Brief appearances, yes, brief by appearances Chris Redd. And, and Zoe Saldana. Okay. So why wouldn't I like that? I think this movie is really funny and it's really scary and it's really fun because you've got these kids that are that know what vampires are and they're like, oh my God, we're going to die. No, but we got to fight for our neighborhood. And it's just, a, it's, it's a great laugh. That is Vampires vs. the Bronx on Netflix. Yes, you liked that movie a lot more than me, and I liked this next pick a <laughs> lot more than you, to the point where you're, you keep slagging it, and it's on our list. It is Dracula from 1931. Of course, the this is the... <laughs> and this is the Dracula. This is the iconic Dracula. This is... This is Bella Lugosi. As Dracula. This is the one that everybody parodies and mimics and stuff. Well, and, and I will say I'm happy to watch Bella do whatever he wants to do. And he's fantastic in it. And the guy who plays Van Helsing in the film is is just so awesome. I love this film. I think that Dracula from 1931 of the original Universal Monster movies is second only to... Uh, James White's Frankenstein in terms of quality and richness. It is a great film, and I highly recommend you catch up with it if you can. You won't be disappointed. It is, uh, And also check out the book that it's based on by Bram Stoker as well. So the next one, though, Shanna, 
this is this is a, just this movie being included on the list is a little bit of a spoiler as far as I'm concerned. Never mind the marketing, never mind the trailers. All, I suppose yeah. you know all that sort of stuff. If you don't want to be spoiled for this next pick, <laughs> skip ahead by a minute. But Shanna, what is our? This is the first one that we agree on. It is our seventh favorite vampire film. What is it? We're gonna have to talk really fast so that nobody. Here's the title. And maybe we won't repeat the title. From Dusk Till Dawn from 96, available on HBO. Uh, two criminals and their hostages unknowingly sneak, uh, seek temporary refuge in a truck stop populated by vampires with chaotic results. I mean, yeah. just the fact that there's vampires in there in the first place is unexpected. It stars Harvey Cattell, George Clooney, Juliette Lewis. Uh, we've, we actually get to see Quentin Tarantino's face. Yep. Selma Hayek, amazing. Cheech Marin, Danny Trejo, and I don't know if there's other people that oh you want God. to mention. There's the, a lot here. Yes, the 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 special effect, the the makeup effects uh, artist Tom Savini, Fred Williamson, Michael Parks, who he would be in a lot of Tarantino movies. This is a blast. Kelly Preston makes an appearance. A very early John Hawks appearance in a great prologue pre-title sequence. Didn't talk about that one when we talked about pre-title sequences. This movie, I. I I think it's the best to watch this movie, show this movie to someone who knows nothing about the film because it does start out to be about two criminals taking hostages and and then it just takes this wild left turn and it's such a badass film. I love it. It's by Robert Rodriguez, written uh, co-written with Quentin Tarantino. Excellent cast. And I showed it to you in that regard as well, with you not really knowing anything about it, right? Yeah, my jaw. Like, I think it's the surprise that makes it so awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause if you're going in it thinking, I'm gonna see vampires, I'm gonna see vampires, that, like they don't come up for a while. It's like 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I'll talk about our sixth favorite. It is from 1994. Interview with the Vampire, the Vampire Chronicles, based on Anne Rice's novel. And so far, the best film based on Anne Rice's work. This is with Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, a 12-year-old Kirsten Dunst. It's a great film. It's it's uh, Christian Slater makes an appearance in it as well. Uh, this is the movie that showed me, oh, Tom Cruise actually has range. You just don't see it much. Uh, at that point, anyway, in his career, you know, I'd go back and reassess his work in Rain Man, which was also really good, too. But he's fantastic in this. It's beautiful. The costume design, the production design in this film is so uh, lush and tasteful. Antonio Banderas makes an appearance in the film, too. I just love Interview with the Vampire. It's always been one of my favorite vampire movies. Shanna, what is our fifth favorite vampire movie this is one that you almost forgot about well for some reason i just felt like it wasn't going to count and uh, probably because there's three monsters in this film Mm. with it's abbott and costello meet frankenstein from 1948 the wolfman tries to warn a dim-witted porter that dracula wants his brain for frankenstein's body so i'll say that again (laughs) wolfman Number one, tries to warn dim-witted Porter that Dracula, number two, wants his brain for Frankenstein's monster monster's body. Number three, there's yeah. three monsters in here. You can't blame me for getting confused. <laughs> this is so freaking funny. I'm looking forward to seeing this during my birthday month. I, I love the terror that 
Abbott and Costello have. And um, I think it's more like Costello is having the yes. terror because he's like, Jack! Yeah. And I say that every time we mention this film, I'm always like, Jack! Yeah. Just because it's it's so, f- it's totally me. <laughs> What a fun film. It was a really unexpected delight when we first watched it. When and I first watched it. It is so awesome because you actually have you Lon mm-hmm. Chaney and Bella Lugosi reprising their roles from their own respective films. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a it's such a delight. One of the greatest comedies ever made. You gotta check this out. It's also a really great franch franchise treatment, you know. Let's bring the original back. Come on over, Bella. Jenna, I'm going to have you talk about the next pick, our fourth favorite vampire movie. This is one that you love way more than me. It barely even made my list in consideration because it's a movie I like quite a bit. But you are head over heels in love with this one. I love this film to death. I just... I think it's like one of my favorite romance films. I think it's top three. I can't remember where it ended. It was like number one on several lists recently. Okay. Yeah. And it, you know, when I made my independent list, this is what was at the top too. So it's the, of course, <laughs> 2013's Only Lovers Left Alive. And it stars Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. It's probably my favorite Tilda and Tom film. I would say so. If Respectively, we're gonna, yeah. If we're gonna do that list too, they'll, that'll probably be what's up there. <laughs> a depressed musician reunites with his lover through their romance, which has already endured centuries, is disrupted by the arrival of her annoying sister, played by Mia Wasikowska. Yes, and we've got John Hurt in there, and Jeffrey Wright, Anton Yelchin. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yes, love him. I just thought this was. This is also a really interesting film in that it's taking place in Detroit. (laughs) There's a vampire living Mm. in Detroit, and it's just interesting to me. I love the the romance between the two of them. They are totally goals where the two of them are could be separated for years because they're vampires. They've got centuries to live with each other, so they take a break here and there. And uh, like she's in some European country and she notices that he's not looking so good. So she goes and gets to him. Mm. And I just thought that that was really beautiful. How, when they get reunited, it's this wonderful embrace. Yeah. Also going to be a birthday month movie. Looking forward to watching that again. That's only love is left alive. All right. And so for our third favorite vampire film, we go, Back to a Swedish film. I think it might be our only foreign film on the list. Well, Girl Walks well, Home Alone. It's our night. second. Yeah. Yeah. Is foreign. But Let the Right One In from 2008, available on Hulu, is our third favorite vampire film. This is, I believe, by Tomas Alfredson, adapted from a book, and it is it was a huge sensation with cinephiles. That swept over, I think there's such a long word of mouth of the, the following two years. And you're like, yeah, 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 Dark Knight's great. But have you heard of this vampire film? <laughs> you know, is is exquisite, it's exceptional. Even, you could even say that the, the inclusion of this list is a mild spoiler for this film as well. Because you just know that this blonde, bullied, 
uh, preteen. He befriends someone in his his apartment complex's court, and there's something mysterious about this character. And there is some more mystery beyond the vampirism of it, but there's also like this uh, helper that that lends to this serial killer element to the the film. And it's very interesting. I, and I, I just, it's a beautiful film. It's wonderful. It's exquisite. Do you have any thoughts that you want to share about Let the Right One In? I just remember watching this with you and thinking, oh my gosh, this man knows what good films are. I'm so excited. Because mm. <laughs> I was really, you know, it's a Swedish film. So it's got these, this, I feel like only the Swedish can do pastels, you know, because hmm. I don't know. I feel like they get that color scheme done really well. Mm. You know, if you think about Gucci and how he's like, never pastels. <laughs> and, mm. Well, you know, the Swedish apparently know how to do it. So I love the characters. I love the story. I like that it's it's young, a mm. young vampire. That's always this rare thing. And this, this like big no-no in vampire culture. Like we never have a young vampire. So right. um, it's Hence, nice to see it. interview with a vampire yeah. speaks to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so does True Blood, uh, the, mm. the series. Okay, very good. Why don't you share with us what our second favorite vampire film is? Yeah, this is, again, take this, this genre and have some fun with it. What we do in the shadows from 2014 directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, think like scary movie. No, not even scary movie, but like it's, it's like Parks and Rec, but for vampires. Yeah. Because you have the <laughs> faux documentary. You have the mockumentary yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. There we go. That's, that's the word. Vega Deacon and Vladislav are vampires who are struggling with the mundane aspects of modern life, like paying rent, keeping up with the chores. And uh, there's this crew that's following them around and they even have an interaction with another kind of monster, uh, which is a lot of fun. And it's happening in, I believe it's New Zealand. And so there's New Zealand humor to it, which is always such a delight. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of I get a lot of laughter out of it. They have a show now on mm. on FX, which can be found on Hulu. I have only checked out one or two episodes. Oh, you have? I have. Uh, this was ages ago. It was before you said that you wanted to watch it too, so don't get mad. Okay. And I'm looking forward to watching that show because mm. it's, uh, it is it is retaining what was established in the movie. My understanding is the first season does, but it branches out quite a bit. Yeah, what we do in the shadows. This is my first exposure to Taika Waititi. He co-directed this with Jermaine Clement. And both of them are brilliant in this film. This is a brilliant, hilarious, one of the best comedies of the past 20 years and easily one of the easily the best vampire comedy. I love what we do in the shadows. It's just ingenious. I had to show you this movie after I watched it. I was just like, oh, my God, you just got to see this. This is hilarious. So what we do in the shadows from 2014 is our second favorite vampire film but our favorite vampire film is from 1992 it is available on netflix it is francis ford coppola's brahm stoker's dracula i would say this is probably coppola's last great film in his career it is extraordinarily shot. It's just wonderful, sumptuous cinematography. The 
special effects, the makeup effects, the production design, the costuming is extraordinary. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And I remember it being the most faithful to the novel by Bram Stoker out of all the film adaptations I have seen. Gary Oldman is unbelievable in this and it, there's an, a, a, a pretty great cast, including Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing. You have Winona Ryder in it. A lot of people hate on Keanu Reeves in the film, but I actually like Keanu Reeves yeah. in this movie. I, and there's there's more. There's uh, Tom Waits as Renfield, who is just fantastic Renfield. as Renfield. I love Bram Stoker's. Dracula, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share about I it? I absolutely love the costuming and cinematography in this film. Mm-hmm. It's just gorgeous. You have the really special, super awesome edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been wanting to go through the special features, but of course life has been crazy, so we yeah. haven't quite gotten there yet. But man, this is a very well-crafted film. It is, and a wonderful score as well. Mm. Uh, so that is our favorite vampire movie Bram Stoker's Dracula you can check it out on Netflix what are your favorite vampire movies feel free to email us at the Gibson review at gmail.com and that will do it for this episode of the movie lovers Shanna before we talk about the next episode why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online? You can find me at Shanna Paxton Photography on Instagram and at Flickchart. You can find me as Spellbinding A. Fantastic. Go to thegibsonreview.com. That is the blog, the source of everything. There should be, by the time you're hearing this, a new feature article on the blog, Tracy and Hepburn, a review where I go through and I review every movie with Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn and rank those movies. I think that is something definitely worth checking out. I think you'll find some new great recommendations there. So you'll find that at thegibsonreview.com. Follow on social media, facebook.com slash thegibsonreview, but also Instagram, thegibson 99 I do bracket polls there at the time of recording. We are finishing up finding out whether or not, uh, whether what is your favorite directorial debut? We broke it up by century. We did a 20th century bracket and Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino's directorial debut was your favorite there. We're finishing up the 21st century bracket and that winner will go up against Reservoir Dogs to decide what your favorite directorial debut is. I also did out of curiosity which directorial debut people preferred between 1995's Mortal Kombat and 2021's Mortal Kombat. Shanna, do you want, do you know which one people voted on? No, what did they pick? By a wide margin, Hmm. people preferred the Paul W.S. Anderson 1995 Mortal Kombat over the 2021 film. Okay, like I get the nostalgia thing, but Mortal Kombat more recent is definitely worthy of winning. (laughs) You think that one's definitely better? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it did end up on your favorite directorial debuts list you can listen to that list in a previous episode of the movie lovers check your rss feed for that 
And you can also find me on Flick Chart, the Gibson 99. Next episode of The Movie Lovers, we will be reviewing Sonic the Hedgehog 2 as our main event review. And I think Film Phase will be doing our favorite underrated movies. These are movies that we feel like, hey guys, it's not all that bad. And uh, gets kind of a, a poor reputation or whatever than it deserves. So you can look for that, I believe, on Tuesday, April 26th, if I'm not mistaken. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.